Hello. Good morning. There we are. All right. Um, so the doctrine of man and sin next spring. So now that we've uh, spent the last three terms covering the doctrine of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, now it's time to take a good hard look at ourselves, which will be uncomfortable at points, I can assure you, uh, but still necessary because once we've covered who God is and who we are, then next fall we'll be prepped and ready to go for the doctrines of salvation, which will be just a, a really, really great time together. So lots of good stuff in store next year, uh, but here this morning we'll, we'll wrap it up for this year, okay? Um, now, you know, I, I will just, again, marvel here with you guys for just a minute um, at the providence of God in lining up our studies this fall in the field of pneumatology with what we've been studying on Sunday mornings. Um, I, I, I mean, it, we could not possibly, if we had tried to, hit it more, more perfectly uh, to be in John 14 through 16 as we were going through these lessons this fall. Um, and for me, in particular, the effect of that has been just truly, really profound. I have personally learned more um, this fall going through the study of pneumatology than I have any, any other session or semester with you men, just because it's kind of been a double-barrel shotgun in my study. I'm having to go deep in John uh, for Sundays, and then deep with you guys into pneumatology for this class, and the effect has combined to really um, help me get some clarity and to understand um, some things that perhaps were a little fuzzy in my own mind before. So I hope that the effect has been the same for you. Um, and that as we've been studying here on Friday mornings, it has shed light on the Gospel of John as we've been reading and studying that, um, which is really kind of leading me into what I want to talk about here this morning. You know, we are going into John 16 through 17 in, in the next two months. Um, in December through the Christmas season, we're going to be studying um, John chapter 16, uh, which essentially is Jesus's introduction of the Holy Spirit as being his greatest gift to mankind, which will be a great, I think, series for us to be looking at over the Christmas season. Um, you know, everybody's focused on the giving of gifts. Well, what was the gift that Jesus gave to us? And in John 16, he very clearly says, my gift to you that is going to change everything for you is the Holy Spirit. And so John 16 is like dead center bullseye in pneumatology, and that's going to be what we're covering here over the Christmas season. And then John 17 um, is very similar to it, the high priestly prayer as Jesus gives this just amazing prayer to his Father that basically teaches us the fullness of our Trinitarian theology. You take John 16 and 17 out of the Bible, if the Apostle John had never written those chapters, um, or if they had been lost out of a manuscript or something back in the early days of, of the church, um, our understanding of both the Trinity and the Holy Spirit would be very much lacking. Um, and so these next two chapters that we're going into, December and then in January, early February, um, are, are just rich with uh, the doctrines of the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, how the Father, the Son, the Spirit relate to one another. So what I want to do this morning um, as we wrap up our study of pneumatology is, you know, I've, got, I've, I've kind of got three different purposes here for us this morning. Number one, to wrap this up by reviewing some of the more challenging things that we've covered over the semester. I want to make sure that there's clarity and that we've locked that in. But number two, I, I want us to be well prepared um, to uh, have a, a theological foundation 
that will undergird our study of John 16 and 17 as a church. And the best way for me to do that is to get a little, a little bit deeper into the weeds with you men than I could possibly get on a, on a Sunday morning. But then number three, I, I want us to be able to, as, even as we do that, be able to answer the question, does the Holy Spirit speak to us today? And if so, what is he saying and how does he say it? Um, that's the practical implication of what I want us to cover this morning here. So those are really my three purposes today, and I think we can, we can look at one thing and accomplish all three purposes very well here today. Okay, so we're going to answer the question, what is the Holy Spirit up to today, and does he still speak to us today? Now, I know we have covered this before <clears throat> as men in this group, and so the, the, the basic reasons or the fundamental arguments I think you men are probably pretty well capable of, of giving me those answers because we've covered that in prior semesters. We did it in bibliology. Um, I know we did it again in, in theology proper. And here we've been studying pneumatology for the past uh, two, three months together. So I, th I think you men are, are pretty well versed in what my answer would be if somebody asked me the question right now, is the Holy Spirit still speaking to us today? I, I think you've got a pretty good idea of what I would say. My answer to that question is yes, he is through scripture. Um, and that's how I hear the voice of God today. Um, I, I think you men know that's where we're coming from. But what I want to do today is go back and really provide you with a solid theological argument for why we come to that conclusion. I want to ground our answer to that question in the same way that Jesus answers that question. Because in John 14 through 17, Jesus very clearly explains what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to be, what he is going to say, and how he is going to say it. Okay? The answer to that question from Jesus is given to us in John 14 and 17, the very text that we've been studying together. But the way that Jesus answers that question is to ground the ministry of the Holy Spirit into some pretty intensive Trinitarian theology. All right, so it's really Jesus's explanation of the Trinity that gives him the ability to explain this is the Holy Spirit's function in your life. So if you want to understand how the Holy Spirit functions in your life, you first have to understand how the Holy Spirit functions in relationship to the other members of the Trinity. And so we're going to go back and just review some of the things that we talked about earlier this fall as it relates to the Trinity. And I want to show you specifically how those things we've already talked about apply specifically to this question of whether or not and how the Holy Spirit is speaking today. Does that make sense? I know you're all like, oh no, here we go again. But yes, here we go again. All right, I want to make sure this is really locked in because it's very important to the fullness of our theology and it's critical to understand if you really want to get deep into John 16 and 17. All right, so let's go ahead and just, ju just jump into this here. All right, we know that the Trinity, uh, the, the simplest way to define the doctrine of the Trinity is that our God is three distinct persons in one. He is three in one. He is dis the members of the Trinity are distinct from one another, but there is no difference among the members of the Trinity. So let's just talk about their oneness for a minute by way of review. Do the members of the Trinity have different pop quiz? Do the members of the Trinity have different will 
power, authority, or glory? No, right? We've already covered that ground. When we say the, that the Trinity is one, we have one God, we mean that they have one mind, one will, one power, one authority. They're all, they all receive equal glory. We have one God whose name is Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay? So we are monotheists in that way. That doesn't mean that God is unified amongst himself. He is. But when we say God is one, it doesn't just mean that there's unity amongst the members of the Trinity. Because that would be like me saying, you know, Pastor Jeremiah, Pastor Jerry, and I, we go to lunch, we talk about an issue, and there's unity amongst us. Does that make us one just because we agree? No, we're still three distinct per persons, right? So unity is certainly true within the Trinity, but there is more to our Trinitarian theology than just agreement or unity, right? There's a true oneness where there is no difference between the members of the Trinity. They are all of the same essence, the same nature, with the same attributes. One God, okay? But that does not mean that the members of the Trinity are not distinct. You're saying, well, if there's no difference between them, does that mean then that if there's three members of the Trinity, we have three fathers and three sons and three spirits? No, the members of the Trinity are still distinct from one another, okay? And that is very important to understand. And it's as we start to understand the nature of the distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that the way by which the Spirit speaks... And what he has to say is going to become clear. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. Their persons are distinct, even though there is no difference between them in their character and nature, power, will, mind, and authority. Right? So let me kind of explain um, what is the nature of that distinction between them. And again, this is technical here for a few minutes, but the reason why we're going back to this is because it's in our understanding of what makes them distinct that we get down to how each of them function in our lives. That's the practical outworking that I want you to keep in mind. That's why we're, we're going here again this morning. All right. So you guys will remember when we covered this before, we talked about the difference between the imminent trinity and the economic trinity. The imminent trinity describes the trinity as it actually is in their relationships to one another, independently from mankind. The economic trinity talks about how the trinity interacts with each one of us as individuals, as, as mankind. All right? Many people will try to um, define the distinctions between Father, Son, and Spirit based upon how each member of the trinity interacts with man. And that's a really big problem. The reason why is because what happens if man had never been created? All of a sudden, the distinctions between the members of the Godhead go away. And now there is no trinity. There's just a, a, a single unified being. And that's not how God actually is. So you cannot say that the distinctions amongst the Godhead are dependent upon the way he interacts with mankind. Right? There has to be something different about the members of the Trinity within himself apart from man. All right? The distinctions between, between the members of the Godhead, they have to exist independently of us as humans. And that's where we talk about their distinction relying upon their origin. 
When we say origin, we don't mean their beginning because God has no beginning. We mean their eternal source, how they relate to one another and where they came from. All right, so we know that the Father is the unbegotten one. That's how Scripture refers to the Father. He is unbegotten. That means He is the source of all things. We know, Scripture teaches us, that the Son is not unbegotten. Okay? The Son is the begotten one. That is the only difference between the Father and the Son. The Father is unbegotten. The Son is begotten. What does that mean? It means that the Son is eternally generated from the Father's nature. So He is a true Son who is, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 tells us, the exact representation of the Father's nature. He is the perfect image of God. So the Father, from eternity past, has eternally generated the Son. It's called the doctrine of eternal generation. And so the Son has always come from the Father's nature, and therefore He truly is a Son, with the Father as His Father, right? We all generate, or have the potential to generate offspring, right? That means that there's a carbon copy of me in my home. I'm a father, I have a son. Now for us, the generation of a son means that there's a beginning point, right? There was a point where I was and my son was not, but now there's a copy of me and he, he began at a certain point. It's different between God the Father, God the Son. There is no point of beginning. That's not what we mean by origin. What we mean is the source of nature, okay? The Son comes from the Father and He always has. He is eternally generated. If you say that the Son is just generated, uh, well, now you're an Arian because that would seem to imply that the Son is a created being, which He's not. He has been eternally generated. Okay? That's where the Son comes from. The Father is the source of His nature. The Spirit then, the Spirit proceeds eternally from both the Father and the Son. So He is eternally proceeding from God as an expression of God's nature. And his function, his role, is to enable us now to know the nature of God by means of showing us the person of Christ. Okay? In fact, the text that we're going to be looking at this Sunday, John chapter 15, in fact, go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 15, because we're going to be kind of hanging around in this text here for most of the morning. But in John 15, verse 26, he says, The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. All right? That's, the, that's what makes the Spirit distinct from the Son. The reason why we don't have, if we say God is one, you say, and, there are, and, and, and he is, the members of the Trinity share the same attributes and are the same. Well, then how are they distinct from one another? The thing within the imminent Trinity that makes the Father, the Son, and the Spirit distinct is where they come from, the source of their natures. Okay? The Son being eternally begotten, generated from the nature of the Father, which means He is the exact representation of the Father's character that is now made manifest to us through the Incarnation. The Spirit proceeding from both Father and Son 
now as an expression of the nature of God, enabling us to have life and to have our eyes open. There's a picture of that there in your notes that I found this week. This is kind of the classic Trinitarian formulation that Christians have always believed since the second and third century AD. You can see there, God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit, but the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. What makes them distinct is that the Father eternally generates the Son, Father and the Son eternally spirate the the, the person of the Holy Spirit. He proceeds from both Father and Son. That's what makes them distinct, right? Clear as mud? All right, now I know that is mind-boggling because we are finite creatures who cannot think apart from a point of beginning. So when we say that the, that the Spirit has eternally proceeded from the Son, but the Son is eternally begotten from the Father, it would seem to us and our understanding to imply that there was a beginning point at which all of this was arranged. But there wasn't. That's the nature of eternity, and that's the part of the Trinity that we cannot fully wrap our minds around. All right, so we can grasp they're one, sharing everything, perfectly, truly one, and we can grasp they're also distinct because of these, the, these sources of where they came from, but, but how those things come together, that is the point right there at which we must agree that this is beyond the fullness of our ability to comprehend. All right, so I, I want to I make sure that that is very clear for us. That's the reality of who God is within the imminent trinity. And that's how we define the distinctions between the members of the Trinity. Within the fullness of who He is, rather than in His relationship to us and who we are. Now, when it comes to the economic Trinity, and this is where we're going to get down into the question of what is the Holy Spirit saying to us and how does He say it. When it comes to the economic Trinity, the way by which each member of the Trinity interacts with us as mankind is going to be a reflection of who he is within the imminent trinity. All right, so we don't define the distinctions amongst the Godhead based on how he interacts with us, but the way he interacts with us reflects who and how he actually is. Let me explain this now, all right? The Father, as the unbegotten one, is the source of all truth to mankind. Who the Father is distinctly within the Trinity is reflected in the economy of how he engages with us. So if he is, un, my notes say the unbuttoned one. That is not true, okay? Uh, is that what your notes say? Do you guys have that in your notes? Un, okay, I'm really glad to hear that somebody caught that mistake. Um, the Father is the unbegotten one. That means that he is the source of all truth. And you can see that right there in that, te- in that chart. You guys have that chart in your notes? On the second page maybe? Yes, nodding heads, shaking heads? Yeah, okay, good. All right, so look at the chart. The Father, because he is unbegotten within the Trinity, what does that mean in relationship to man? It means he is the source of all truth. Go with me to John chapter 16, verse 15, and I'll show you. Someone go ahead and read John 15, uh, 16, 15. Okay, so the Father there is the source of truth for who? The Son, who then is the one who 
manifests that truth in his person to who? To us. So ultimately, where does the truth originate? The Father. Now, there are many biblical texts that we could go to to demonstrate this, but for the sake of time, I'll just leave you with that one to demonstrate very clearly from the text for you that the Father is the original source of all truth because he is the unbegotten one. That is how the imminent trinity plays out in the economy of how God interacts with man. He is the source of truth. Now let's talk about the Son. As the begotten one, that means as the one whose nature comes forth from the Father, he is the one who proceeds to make the Father known to mankind, and he does that primarily through the, through the incarnation. So who the Son is distinctly in the Trinity, he is the begotten one, is reflected in the economy of how he engages with us. So let's look at the chart again. The Son in the imminent Trinity, he is eternally begotten. That means his nature is eternally being generated from the nature of the Father. What does that mean as he relates to us? It means that he is now the exact representation. He is the image of God for us the one who makes God known to us by showing us the face of the Father. God, who is invisible, he exists. First Timothy 6, I think it's 15, talks about how that God is invisible, dwelling in unapproachable light, but the Son, he has made him, what? Known, right? And you can see this if you go back and look at John 14, verse 9, and John 17, verse 6. Who can read 17, 6 for me? Okay, Sean, let me, let me read 14.9. Jesus said to Philip here, we've already covered this on Sundays, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus' express purpose in dwelling with and interacting with man is to show us the face of the Father. That is what he does economically amongst us and it is a reflection of who he is eminently within the Godhead. Okay, within the Godhead, he is eternally begotten, which means that with us, he is eternally imaging God for us. He is the exact representation of God's nature. There is no division or distinction between he and God. Now, 17.6. Uh, Sean, go ahead and read that. Okay, so you can see there the unity between the Father and the Son. And if you read John 17, you'll see the fact that the Son comes directly from the Father, right? Um, not only on his, in, in his mission to us does he come from the Father, but within the reality of who God is in heaven, he also comes from the Father. So because he comes from the Father, his nature comes from the nature of the Father as a Son is to a Father, so too then when he steps into time interacting with humanity is he still the one who comes from the Father. Okay, that's how the reality of the imminent trinity up here impacts how he interacts with man down here. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, before we move on to the spirit because this is where we're going to answer our question, let me answer any questions I may have created here. Yes. Okay, yeah, so economy is the way this plays out within the scope of 
limited human finiteness. Okay, so at our, our mind, what we're talking about here is something that at some point we have to believe by faith because it deals with that which is infinite, right? It's beyond our ability to fully comprehend. And so when we talk about the imminent Trinity, how can we fully understand the nature of the Father begetting the Son? We can't. That is a concept that belongs to the infinite nature of God, right? Who he really is in his infinity. Right. So in the finiteness of mankind, right, within our finite realm in which we live, God, the infinite one, condescends now to come and work with us. And that's what I mean by economy. It's how he interacts with, works with, engages with us and our finiteness. So he, the infinite one, engaging with us, finite ones, and that's how this imminent truth that is so far beyond us gets brought down to this level where now it's working with us. Okay, that's, that's economy. Okay? Yeah, so it's the perceivable reality. All right, because when... When, when the sun um, comes to the earth, is there any separation between his work, the Spirit's work, and the sun's work in, re- in reality? No, God, God is, you can't divide him up, right? So who is doing the work of salvation? Father, Son, and Spirit. But practically, economically, um, as we engage with him as individuals, there are, there are distinct expressions that, that come primarily by means of the Son or by means of the Spirit um, that, that we perceive because our, our perception and our ability to perceive is limited. Okay? Yeah. Good question. Yeah, Mike. Okay. So generate means that um, he is... A, a, he, he, is a, he is a son in that his nature uh, is a distinct, um, it is a distinct formation of, the go- uh, of God's nature in the flesh, visibly. Um, there is a, a visible manifestation just as truly as my son is a manifestation and a reflection of me so too is God the Son a distinct manifestation of and reflection of the Father, right? Unilateral generation. The Spirit is not a Son with a visible manifestation, okay? He, the Spirit is not a brother to Christ. It's not as though the Father generates the Son and then the Father generates the Spirit in the same way. No, the Spirit is the expression of both now Father and Son, and we, we've, we've seen that explained to us in John 14 already as well, where Jesus says, I will ask the Father, he will send the Spirit in my name, and we will now come to you, right? So that very clearly, John 14 teaches us that the Spirit, who does he come from? The Father or the Son? Both, right? And that right there, that is the distinction between the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. 
In 1054 AD, those two churches split over that issue. The Orthodox Church saying the Spirit comes exclusively from the Father and not the Son. The Catholic Church at that point saying, no, He comes from both the Father and the Son. And in this case, the Catholic Church got it right. The Orthodox Church got it wrong because John 14 very clearly teaches that the Spirit comes from both the Father and the Son, okay? which is consistent with Trinitarian formulation since the beginning of the early church. That's just an aside. There you go. Okay? Bonus points. All right? Let's keep going. Um, all right. So hang with me here. We'll get there. I promise you. So we've seen how the fathers, the reality of the fathers um, person in, impacts us within, within our economy, within our, within our world. Father's unbegotten. He's the source. The Son is begotten, which means He's the perfect image. The Spirit now, because He eternally proceeds from the Father, what is His role? If He is the expression of the Father's nature, what is His role? It is to reveal to us the truth by showing us the one who is the image of God. Okay, this is why this now starts to get pretty important. Okay, so if He eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son then his function as it relates to mankind is to open our eyes to be able to see God's nature. Well, what is the visible manifestation of God's nature? Jesus. Which is why in John chapter 15, verse 26, which is a text that I hope to cover this Sunday, Jesus says specifically, when the Helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, what is his ministry and his message going to be? Look at the end of verse 26. What does it say? Anybody or, all, or, or everybody. He will bear witness about stuff in general? About me. Because it's in the Son that we find the image of God. So if you want to know God, you have to look at the Son, who is the express image of God. And the only way to see the Son, and therefore to know the nature of the Father, who is the source of all truth, is as the Spirit of God makes it possible for you to behold Him. All right? That, right there, grounded in our Trinitarian theology, is the message of the Spirit that he would show to you Christ because it's as you see Christ that now you've got the capacity to know God. This is why it's so important to ground the answer to the question, is God speaking to me? Does the Holy Spirit still speak? And if so, what is he saying in your Trinitarian theology? Because when you understand what is the function of each member of the Trinity, now you understand what kinds of things the Spirit is going to say to you. All of this informs how the Spirit speaks and what He says. Because if His role is to reveal the truth of the Father by means of illuminating the revelatory person of Jesus, that means that when the Spirit speaks, He, being one with the Father and Son, has very specific things to say. Now this is where the rubber meets the road. You ready to hear the tires peel out? This means, gentlemen, that it is borderline blasphemous for us to attribute anything to the Spirit of God that originates with us as men. He only speaks, Jesus says here, what is from God alone. Look with me at John 14, 26. You ready? 
Here's where, here's where Jesus says it very clearly. The Helper, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Do you see all that Trinitarian theology packed in those words? Okay. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay. That is the message and function of the Holy Spirit. It is to reveal to us the message, person, work of Christ, because Christ is the one who shows us the nature of the Father. Do you see the, the clear line of connection there from Father to Son and Son to Spirit and how that, that defines the nature of what you can expect the Holy Spirit to say to you? All of it being grounded here within the context of the Trinity. What does this mean? It means that the Holy Spirit isn't just wandering over the face of the earth, dropping nuggets of insight or planting random impressions into your frontal lobe or speaking in a still small voice as though life was a big yoga class. If I just sit here quietly for long enough with just the right music, well, then maybe we'll hear from God. That is not how the Holy Spirit interacts with us. Jesus has very clearly taught us here in these chapters that the Holy Spirit brings to our awareness the Word of Christ, which is the expression of God's nature. That's how the Holy Spirit speaks. So how does the Holy Spirit not speak to us? Well, I got this straight out of Costi's book and the chapter that is very helpful. He doesn't speak as we just sit in silence. You know, these are some ways that sometimes people will say, here's how the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Well, if I sit in silence, I'm just going to be still and know God until some God thoughts pop into my head. That is not how the Holy Spirit speaks. If you're left to yourself with a vacuum of your own thoughts, you will come up with the thoughts of you, not the thoughts of God. Okay? So that's not how he speaks to us. Big time misconception. Here's another way that he does not speak to us. We don't listen for still small voices. Some people would say the Holy Spirit gives me an impression or a thought or a feeling. He doesn't do that apart from the Scriptures. The way he speaks is through the Scripture. Some people would seek to hear from the Holy Spirit by reading the tea leaves. Well, if, if you do X, then I'll know that that's truly a message from, from God or a message from the Spirit. That's not how the Holy Spirit speaks. He doesn't work by throwing out a fleece and then giving you an answer. Worked for Gideon, that was a miraculous intervention. Doesn't work for you and me because we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, illuminating for us everything we need for life and godliness. All right? Uh, same thing, playing the Bible thumb game. I'm going to look for a word from the Lord today, and so I'm going to open my Bible to Job chapter 5, verse 18. For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Today's going to be a tough one, guys. <laughs> right? Okay, so that's not how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. So how does he speak to us? Ready? This is the answer. He speaks to us with the single authoritative voice of God. And though there is distinction between the members of the Trinity, we don't have three fathers, three sons, three spirits. We've already covered that. There is no difference between the voice of the Spirit, the voice of the Son, the voice of the Father. Just as they share the same mind, will, power, authority, glory, so too do they share the very same voice as well. What does that mean? It means that the word of Christ 
is the same thing as the Word of God, which is the same thing as the revelation from the Spirit of truth, because they are one. The Spirit does not speak independently from the Son or from the Father. You can't say, well, this is the voice of the Spirit in my life, if you're not willing to attribute whatever He's saying to the Father and the Son as well. For they're never separated in their operations or in their messaging or in their purposes or in their will. They are truly one God. And so to know the mind of God is to hear from the Spirit of God is to know the Word of Christ. To read the Word of Christ is therefore to know the mind of God and to hear from the Spirit of, the Spirit of God. To, to know the conviction of the Spirit is to know the Word of Christ and the mind of God. They all go together. Do you see that image there um, in your notes? that I, 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 I built for us, okay? Let's just, with the time that we've got left, I want to really drive this down into your frontal lobes and make sure that it's really very clear for us. I want to show you the equivalency between the word of the Son, the mind of the Father, and the spirit of truth, right? To have one is to have the others. And so you cannot divorce the message of the Spirit away from what we have in either the Word of God or what we believe about the mind of God. You're not free to just say, the Spirit told me such and such, or He gave me this message or that message, independently from the Word of Christ or the mind of God, because those are all the very same things. All right, so let's look at some text. I'm going to assign these out here for us, and we'll go through and look at them together. Let's start with John 1, 1 through 5 and John 1.18. Who can read those two? Charlie, do both of those. Okay, 1.1 1, 1 through 5 and 1.18. Somebody else go to Hebrews 1.3. Who can do that? Okay, Dan. Uh, then John 14.10. Okay, Mike back there. Actually, John, I'm, or Mike, I'm going to have you do... Yeah, John 14.10. Um, and also be ready for John 14.26. Okay. And then John 16, let's do 13 through 15. Who can do that? Okay. Mark. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. Okay, Pat. Um, who had John 16, 15? You did? Okay, good. So, yeah, 16, 13 to, fi- good. 13 to, 13 to 15. Romans 8, 26. Okay, Marv. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11. Tony, John seventeen seventeen. Okay, Kurt, I think that should pretty much do it. Was somebody already in First Corinthians two? Who was in First Corinthians two? Tony, um, do ten to eleven, but then also be ready for verse fifteen too. All right, you guys ready? This is kind of our grand finale. You guys are you're still with me, right? I didn't lose you like half an hour ago. Okay, good. This is going to be worth it. I promise. All right, now. Let's establish the fact, first of all, that the word of the Son reflects the mind of the Father. Right? You see that box in the lower left and at the top of the pyramid? There's a line that connects those two going from the word of the Son to the mind of the Father. Here's how that is established. John 1, 1 through 5. Go. Okay, so when God, the Father, the source of all truth, 
wants to enlighten the darkness, who does he send? The sun. Because the sun comes from who? In the economy or the imminency? Both. Okay. Because he comes from the Father within the Trinity, he comes from the Father into our Father. Why? Because he came from the Father. And so he's the only one qualified to teach us about the Father. He's the image of the truth of the Father. His word, what he says, what he t- teaches us, the Son, perfectly reflecting the Father's nature because he came from the Father to us to bring light to our darkness. So the word of the Son is the same thing as the mind of the Father. There is no distinction between them. There is no daylight between them. Now what about the mind of the Father and how that relates to the word of the Son? Who's got John 14.10? Okay, Mike? Okay, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but they come from the Father, for I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, he says. Very clearly, to have the mind of the Father is to listen to what? The Word of the Son. Okay, uh, Chapter 16, verse 15. Who's got that one? Okay. All that the Father has is mine. He will take what is mine and He will declare it to you. How do you think He's going to declare it to you? Through the, through the ministry of... Now, you've got to go down to the other side of the triangle. The Holy Spirit. Okay, So to, have the, to know the mind of the Father is to hear the word of the, uh, of the Son, which is to then have also the ministry of the Spirit in your life. They're the same father. 